This is Karnveer Mundret, the Chief Ideation Officer at Atharva Marcom, and you're listening to the future of branded content marketing and PR, co-powered by the Branded Content Marketing Association. Uh, so hi Kevin and welcome to uh, the show uh, the future of branded content marketing and PR and we do this in, in uh, conjunction with the BCMA which is the branded content marketing association and as you know the branded content marketing association is one of the, the key uh, you know associations for uh, branded content and it's probably the, the one of the most prestigious branded content associations in the world so uh, I wanted to know, let's start with uh, what you do at Oceans Outdoors, uh, you know, as a head of content and, uh, you know, tell us a little bit about Ocean Outdoors and, and like just go a bit inter- with introducing yourself a bit. Sure. Good to meet you, kind of it. Yes, so Ocean Outdoor, um, we offer, offer quite a unique proposition in, in digital out of home. We have the um, UK's only full motion large format screen network. So our proposition is really built around iconic locations, um, areas that grab people's attention. Our best example being Piccadilly Lights, um, which that, uh, that, we, that we operate. And What is that? Tell me more about Piccadilly. Piccadilly is the, the iconic screens at Piccadilly Circus oh, okay. um, that we took over about two years ago. Um, it had previously been operated as six uh, independent digital screens. Um, this is one of the sort of oldest um, screen networks in, in London, had been operating since the war. Yeah. Um, we removed the, uh, the existing six screens and put one full screen up there now, um, one of the largest screens in Europe that, uh, that operate. It still works on a sort of mosaic basis, six different advertisers, but they rotate around the screen. Uh, and at various times, the uh, screen can be taken over by by an advertiser. So it's a it's an incredible platform. So is that the work that BA did with pointing at the uh, you you can that was a different screen. Oh, okay. <laughs> that was a different screen in that location. But certainly the um, the, the nature of, of that type of um, uh, activation on on that screen is is certainly possible. So we use those those types of screens. That's clearly one of our uh, our most um, uh, impressive, but really the screens that we have in uh, 11, nearly 12 cities around the UK now are of that uh, sort of size and, and standout. That's really the proposition that, uh, that we make. And it was really through the use of those screens and understanding that we have um, the value of video content that we started working with, with the BCMA and understanding how uh, full motion, as we call it, video content in out of home has really the opportunity to grab people's attention and get them to, to stop in their track. Branded content marketing is predicted to be at the heart of every marketing strategy and there is growing evidence that there will be a significant shift in budgets to support it. However, there is still confusion as how to do it, who should do it and how it is measured. This podcast brings to you the knowledge, the skills and the secrets you need to take to take you to the absolute cutting edge of branded content. This podcast is in partnership with the BCMA. The BCMA is the global industry body for branded content practitioners, run by practitioners, promoting best practice, sharing knowledge and growing the branded content industry. To know more, go to the BCMA. Go to www.bcma.info. 
So what, tell us a little bit about video content and what have you seen, what works, what doesn't, what, do, what grabs people's attention. Tell us a little bit about your learnings of video content. Well, we've been running a number of uh, research studies um, using neuroscience technology. So we have respondents that are hooked up measuring brainwaves and those studies are really there to establish um, people's attention and memory encoding uh, when exposed to different types of, uh, of content. Um, this is something that we've done over a number of phases now. Um, and really what it, what it highlights is that large full motion screens um, are going to attract people's attention, particularly if they're in iconic locations. We also know that the use of video content is more effective than static digital content. Um, and we also know that the use of that video content on a digital out-of-home screen primes engagement on mobile. So we're starting to understand the job that digital out-of-home can actually do is to affect people's behavior on, on subsequent devices. And the final phase of the study, which we, we've just released, is, lo is looking at the area of how um, the use of dynamic elements in campaigns, so the use of, of, of scoreboard, uh, live scoreboards and updates uh, attract attention, as does the use of, of live streaming of content. So, so is there any kind of, uh, are there any examples of campaigns you have done which included these elements and, mm. and the results that you saw? Yes, indeed. We, we work exclusively with, with the All England Club um, that staged the Wimbledon tournament uh, every year. And this year, we, uh, in conjunction with, with Wimbledon, secured their official sponsor, Jaguar. Um, and they sponsored highlights, uh, short 60-second clips of highlights from the tournament across all of our screens. But also, uh, we operate the um, outdoor screen contracts for Westfield, the two Westfield centres in Stratford and London, um, to the largest shopping malls in, in Europe. Uh, and Jaguar used those locations really to, to get much closer to, to their um, consumers, both from a perspective of driving people to their dealerships in, that, in those locations, um, but also in Westville, London, they set up uh, an interactive fan zone. So they had a, um, a, a Ace Pace app, which was testing um, people's uh, speed of serve. And they were also uh, created a fan zone so people could just come and watch the tournament throughout its, its entirety. So it was very much a, a completely holistic approach from, from the advertiser, um, really backed by the, the attention-grabbing content that we were putting out on the screen. The content that Jaguar were producing was, was bespoke to, to this activation. Um, so it wasn't repurposing uh, TV ads, they were actually creating bespoke content. And this is where we start to see the opportunity for brands to integrate within those environments that we create through our, our own partnerships. Now these are, these are associations that you know, the brands may already have, so with Jaguar and Wimbledon, but with some of other our partners, um, other brands that aren't associated can also become involved as well because they just want to be within an environment um, that has a, a sport or a, a sort of fashion Tell me more about this, how do other brands get involved and what you did for Jaguar and how was it measured uh, did you see a change in behavior? What, what were the aims and ob like objectives of the, the campaign? And how did you measure the achievement of those aims? 
Well, we were measuring the achievements versus the people's attention to uh, normal out-of-home advertising, digital out-of-home advertising. So the effect of uh, incorporating full motion content um, alongside the, the Wimbledon clips, the, the use of uh, digital scoreboards, so we were giving people up-to-date scoreboards, and then finally the use of um, live streaming and fan zones. All of these things we wanted to understand how people uh, responded to those in terms of their attention time and their subsequent memory encoding compared to normal advertising. And there are um, a number of very impressive statistics to show the index of all of those different layers as people get more immersed in, in, in these types of um, uh, experiences um, as, 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 they, as they use their own content in that, uh, in that environment. And, and we believe there's an opportunity for us to create through our partnerships um, various segments of our schedule that are dedicated to this type of content, uh, not just because the Wimbledon tournament might be taking place, but because there is some relevant content to play to somebody at Westfield on a Saturday morning, be it sports related or cookery tips, short, short recipe clips on um, our screens as people go home through their commuter hours. Uh, and all of these types of um, opportunities are again there for brands to create an association very much in the same way that, that TV broadcasters use that uh, proximity within breaks to content, um, use of uh, opening credits going into, um, into, into certain uh, brand partnerships they have with sports uh, brands, that type of thing. So, <clears throat> uh, what do you think, because we are the Branded Content Marketing Association, what do you think has, how do you think branded content has evolved? How do you think it has changed? Where do you think it is going? I think that it's changed primarily because of the proliferation of content that's being created at the moment. Um, that's primarily for the digital channels. I think the intention there is for brands and, and the priority is for brands is to create a, a closer relationship with their consumers. Um, so the content becomes a lot more personal, it becomes a lot more social. How do brands um, create that relationship and have a consistency relationship, it's really by working with um, people's likes and preferences, what are their pastimes, what are their sports interests, these types of things I think are um, the areas that brands are really looking into now. Uh, it doesn't mean So do you do a lot of research before you uh, do a campaign? How, how do you, how, tell, tell us about your campaign process, how do you start like from the time that a client comes to you and probably requests for a proposal to the point of delivering what is the what is the typical campaign process or the typical process of executing a project well the typical process is changing really because we're moving uh, into an area where we're creating these uh, content relationships and these are these are very different from the way that out of home has operated in the past um, and as you know out of home has not really been used as the platform for branded content as such. It's much more promotionally led um, and the use of, uh, of, of advertising uh, for maximum reach in a short period of time to, to get an uplift in sales. Where we are now looking now is, is to um, have the relationships with the likes of Team GB, uh, with the likes of Wimbledon or um, Formula E, enabling us to provide content on screen that we know people want to see. 
Um, and by doing that, we, we start then to be How able to... How do you know what do, what, what, do, what do people want to see? Well, we know through the, um, the success of, of that, that type of relationship that the likes of an ITV or, or um, uh, BBC might, might have. Um, we know that the, the popularity of, of, of that type of content on their channels will translate to our own channels. Uh, what we're providing for, for those broadcasts is the opportunity to reach people who are like TV viewers and the opportunity for them to, to reach viewers that they can't reach through their, through their own channels themselves. And so we establish those relationships Do you think the, the, the ones who uh, see out of home, uh, the information that you di disperse from out of home channels, and the, the people who uh, are watching TV channels, do these two segments overlap or are they separate or are you creating new audiences or are you reinforcing old audiences? I think there is some existing overlap. I think the, the specific nature of, of Digital Out of Home is that we reach younger audiences, younger audiences that are on the move, they're, they're fully connected. Um, a, a 16 to 34 year old adult uh, age group um, in out of home, probably more male orientated. These are, this is very much the segment that um, the TV broadcasters have found it extremely hard to reach. Um, an example being a partnership with the BBC. BBC Three went from a linear to um, a digital channel only because their audience just wasn't watching. So where we can, we can come in is that these audiences are spending seven or eight hours of the, of the day out of home. Um, and so we were able to, to provide an incremental audience to them, but also then using a, a, an on-screen call to action, we can drive that audience back to those channels if the broadcaster is providing something that they want to see. Um, and that's really the key thing. So, so tell me some way. So, so what, what I understand is that you are, you are being able to tap into audiences who normally don't uh, are, are going off the traditional means of receiving information, which means that normally uh, somebody would be watching TV or BBC3 and they don't watch it anymore. Uh, so, that, so now, because of your out-of-home uh, experience, either they're uh, being able to derive the information from, from the out-of-home projections or you're being able to drive them back to BBC3. Well, I think the... The, the interesting thing is, as the broadcasters recognize now, there is a, um, a decline in the audience in linear viewing. So live, live viewing um, has reduced, and I think that applies a lot to sports content as well. People aren't necessarily interested in sitting through the whole game. They want those edited short clips of mm -hmm. highlights. So when we show um, clips from Wimbledon, uh, or we show Formula E, or we show rugby, these are 60 second clips that are highlighted by the broadcasters. Uh, we use them to tell us editorially what, what should be there. Uh, and that really is then used to, to grab people's attention. Now that could be enough. It could be a short, um, a short clip that's, that sort of satisfies their appetites and they know where they are. Um, or it could be that we use some form of call to action on screen that drives them to their mobile for a, a longer, more immersive experience. But, we're starting to experiment with longer clips now. Um, our, our locations generate higher dwell time because they're in, in shopping centers, uh, areas of high footfall. And so the opportunity for us to use 
longer clips uh, is possible and and we also and do people really look at a screen which is at a height of probably 25 feet to 30 feet uh, for longer durations of time is that a, is that a comfort zone for people to to look up like that and look at it for what's the duration of how many seconds do you think works uh, probably not more than a few 30 seconds right i mean you, you couldn't get them to look at it for too long no again this is very much work that we're we're in progress we we ran some um some eye tracking research uh during wimbledon that we're due to release quite uh, quite soon and uh, we noticed that there was a a, a longer uptake in, in attention time I think when you're talking about the standard out-of-home audience that is quite transient passing that screen, um, we have seen multiples there um, of, of increased in attention time, but you're still only talking probably three or four seconds right. as they pass in by the screen. Yeah. I think the key thing is that we give them something in that short period of time that then influences their behavior in, in some way. Um, they're, they've been op given the opportunity to uh, be updated on, on something that's perhaps happening in a much wider context, be it a sports event or... Um, do, you think, do you think five seconds, the concept of five seconds is turning out to be the holy grail in visual because in YouTube you have five seconds uh, before you, they, they allow you to skip an ad. And if you get the audience in that five seconds, you get the audience, otherwise they skip. And you talked, you again mentioned uh, about three to four seconds. So somehow I, I'm, I'm, I'm getting the feel that five seconds is the holy grail of uh, getting a person to, to notice you. No, we have ambitions of, uh, of, of much longer than that. And I think that really will be dictated by the, the content that we have. I think these are the, the initial findings we're finding we're coming back from our, um, uh, from our research. But the locations that we have um, are in the sorts of environments that there are other, um, other interests uh, cafes and, and bars that people can be, be in and we're just providing them with, with an opportunity to, to have some entertainment whilst we're there. So I, I certainly I, I believe that we have the opportunity to get people to be looking for a longer period of time. We're experimenting first with sports content because I think that still generates the source of uh, passion uh, and, and fervor to stop people in their tracks but I think that the extension will then be to look at content that is more geographically or uh, temporary relevant because of the time of day or the day of week. Um, and it may be that, and this is very much something we're working with the creative agencies on as well, um, that we still condense the message down into a short, short period of time um, so we can get that across. But if, if there is an opportunity for people wanting to stay for a bit longer, um, then you know, we'll provide that as well. I think that also is affected by what off-screen entertainment you could provide because with, with our, our Wimbledon activation um, we provide fan zones that allow people to, to sit and dwell because quite frankly they may not be wanting to walk around the shopping centre for too long. Right. Um, but we would also start to look at use of content because there is a, um, a sort of national relevance to it because uh, the for example, we broadcast the Royal Wedding this year um, at, at Westfield as well. Oh wow! And we okay. put deck chairs out, and so that wasn't uh, that wasn't actually with any commercial orientation to it. That was just something that we felt that our screens um, have a uh, a value to them, um, and we have a, a, a an objective at the moment to provide um, sort of a, a digital strategy for digital cities for digital citizens. And this is really about understanding what people actually want. 
uh, from those screens and it's not necessarily just a commercial loop that's just showing advertising that's seen before on other channels. Um, but do you think uh, outdoor advertising is it is it a, do you have to be a lot more sensitive because you know it's outdoors and it's seen by uh, there's no restriction on who is seeing it so if you if you segment the population into by age wise or you know a certain sensitivity wise or things like that do you think that it's it's more touchy sensitive risky and do you have to be more careful or are are you uh, is the audience changing you or are you changing the audience um, I think we're very much in tune or we try to be in tune with the audience so I said so I think yes we do have to have a sensitivity to to the audience and the fact that we are still reaching um, a, a mass audience there so it is something that we have a consideration about with um, with our advertising in terms of uh, proximity to schools um, and, and these um, and these these types of considerations so I think broadcasters are very much the same and this is why we we work very well with them is that um, they can help advise uh, on on the best way to reach a specific audience they're trying to reach um, and we can advise on the methods of, of producing that, um, that communication uh, based on the time of day or, or the nature of it because we, we use technology in such a significant way as well. Our, our screens are equipped with um, facial detection cameras. Um, there's no personal data, it's not recognition of a face, but they can, uh, they can judge somebody's age, um, their gender, uh, even down to uh, expressions and emotions that they can detect. So, I think. And can you alter the content according to uh, if if you have certain age or certain expressions? Can you, can the content change according to that? Yes, both both um, sort of instigating content and 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 not playing that content out. So the the cameras would look at uh, an audience in front of the screen at a particular time and able to assess um, its predominant age and gender. And, and then you could serve advertising that's most relevant to, to that group. Uh, or if that, that rule isn't satisfied, then you could, you could remove that advertising. So it's starting to work uh, much more along the lines of um, digital platforms where uh, audiences are identified and, and content is served. Um, in the case of Out of Home, um, these ads, they, they sit above the loop, as we call a normal commercial loop, and they'll just drop in as and when with the audience is, is there. Um, we use that for pedestrian audiences uh, in, in, our, in our retail locations, and we also use it for um, roadside locations where we can detect um, vehicles based on the, the, the make, model, um, right. and age of car as well. So digital out-of-home advertising through the use of data and technology is becoming far more targeted um, and far more efficient. So I think you'll see that um, the, the traditional two-week advertising periods for um, brands will start to extend um, because they're not on all the time. They'll just be they'll be on when they know their audience is there. Well, that's that's quite amazing. So moving <coughs> moving this is really interesting. But and but I would like to also talk about something we spoke earlier about rights management and how uh, ocean outdoors is probably pretty unique uh, from a PR. Uh, marketing agency uh, to do this. Uh, how did it come about? Tell us a little bit more. What is rights management, and and how do you manage these rights? And and tell us about this business. 
Yeah, so when we work with uh, rights holders, and for the examples there, we could use um, Formula E or um, Team GB. They have the rights to their own brand and the content that's produced from their own brand, and um, also the, um, the rights to video content that's, that's produced, particularly in a sporting context, uh, from um, sort of footage that's taken from, from games or events. Those, those rights are then uh, sold to uh, media partners. Now these could be broadcasters, they could be publishers, um, online or in print, or now increasingly within, within out of home. Um, and the way that it's, it's segmented down is that you may have a, a broadcaster that buys the live rights, um, but then a, a publisher online may buy digital clip rights. Uh, and these may be shortened clips, highlights, that they have the rights to be able to show at a subsequent point after um, a, live, a live game may have taken place. And really where we've been working is to understand primarily from the rights holders point of view in the, in the first instance rather than any subsequent broadcasters, uh, where are the rights to out of home? Um, and, and really in a lot of instances we've discovered they haven't even considered the use of out of home for, for these types of clips because it's really full motion and video screen capability is, is just increasing. So we've been able to open up conversations directly with them that uh, either we can create those relationships with them um, ourselves or they would put us in contact with their official broadcasters and we would work with them in tandem. Uh, and particularly with broadcasters, it reinforces a lot of what we're trying to promote that we're just one other screen within somebody, a consumer's normal um, kind of media consumption day and content consumption day. Um, and alongside TV, alongside mobile, tablet, online, we just provide another opportunity for consumers to, to see that content. Um, and that really works very well with, with our relationships with the BBC and, and the likes of ITV because we extend their reach to an audience that they're not getting themselves. And that opens probably a new stream of revenue for them, which an untapped, unknown source of revenue? Well, primarily um, it works that we're able to provide exposure for their content um, in the first instance, and that enables them to, um, to, to find a new environment and, and, and in some instances create um, bespoke content just for that out-of-home audience. But yes, the, the relationships that we have with those rights holders and broadcasters uh, enables us to create a more um, direct relationships with official sponsors um, and that then with with the collaboration of the rights holders allows us to create commercial revenue streams in that way yeah so great uh, you know we could keep talking but because we have obviously a limited time uh, what next for ocean outdoors and where are you heading to where, where, where is the company looking what is it looking at doing next well, we're, with regards to content, we're really at the early stages. Uh, we're starting to, to work very effectively uh, within this space with the rights holders that we have now. Uh, we look forward to doing a lot more with them as, as, um, as we grow. I think the extension for us is to um, consolidate on the relationships we have. Um, and we're, we're just working with Team GB now to, um, to help build up to support the, uh, the Tokyo Olympics next year. Um, but I think that the extension then is obviously as, as we grow as a company in, uh, into mainland Europe and that we start to extend these rights relationships out uh, onto a screen of um, uh, networks in, in other European countries. 
and therefore working with uh, global broadcasters um, and global brands that want to reach in the same way their consumers in various countries through out-of-home advertising. Oh wow, great. So great talking to you Kevin, it was such a pleasure to, to, meet you, to, yes. to know about Ocean Outdoors and I think some of the things which you spoke about, you know, facial recognition and, and directing, uh, you know, customized uh, information and customized, uh, you know, video is something which is truly remarkable because otherwise it was pretty static. So I think that's changing, pretty much changing the game of, uh, of outdoor. I think people are, are going to be surprised how much capability Out of Home has uh, as, as we go forward. Which is, so. which is probably interesting because at one stage Out of Home was considered to be dying in a, in a, in a dead uh, industry because it wasn't as intelligent as uh, you know, uh, the internet, or, but you probably married the two. Uh, the, the technology and, and made it as intelligent as, uh, as, as probably targeting a Facebook ad or something like that. Well, I, I think it's very similar to um, sort of ex-colleagues I have that work in publishing that, uh, that say print is dead. You know, yeah. Clearly it's not. Yeah. Uh, people will just reassess it yeah. uh, as, our, as our habits change, but there'll always be, there'll always be a need for out-of-home um, for, for its mass reach, but I think there's going to be an element that really has much more of a a specific targeting and uh, a bespoke nature to it. Thank you so much, Kevin. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Thanks, Kevin. Stay connected with the podcast on iTunes. Give us a five-star rating. Reach out to us at atharvamarcom at gmail.com or follow us at thebcma.info. See you next time. May the force of branded content continue to change your world.